Heavenly Father, that is true. That is true. Every voice that has sung, every hand that has clapped, every foot that has stomped is fearfully and wonderfully made by you for your glory. I thank you for bringing us here again. What a, what a grace it is to be able to gather as your church. Lord, I thank you for this privilege. May we not take this for granted. Jesus Christ, you are the head of this church. You say what you want to say. Remove distractions. Have your way among us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work that you see in our hearts needs to happen here tonight. Who am I, Lord? Who am I? I cannot change a heart. I cannot change thinking. Only you, Holy Spirit, have the power to do that. Would you do that? Fill me with your understanding, your unction, your utterance. And will you look upon Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, and see a body that is ready to humble themselves, eager to humble themselves under the authority of your word. And oh, Lord, have your way. Jesus, unite us in the truth, sanctify us in the truth, save through the truth. Oh, Lord, we need you so, so much. May your kingdom come, Father, your will be done, your name hallowed. Give us our daily bread right now and have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. What a, what a joy, just as we sung, what a joy to be in the house of the Lord again. Hey, kids. Kids, let me see your eyes up here for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Hey, kids, are you excited to be gathering as the church again tonight? Let's give it up. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. That's right. Praise the Lord. So here's something we can get really excited about. Let's open up our Bibles. Open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32. And here we are continuing on in the next message in our series entitled, ready for this, Jesus over the church living in uncommon community. Jesus over the church living in uncommon community. Now, Let's lock this in. I love this. God continues to draw new people here, but we got to make sure that we're on the same page. And what it means that we look in Scripture and see it, the uncommon community. Here's an uncommon community that, we're, that we are called to be as the church. You'll see it on the screen. This is God's people living out God's word together. There is no one anothering on your own. You cannot one another in isolation. God's word together by God's spirit, because we can't do it on our own strength, by God's spirit for God's glory. Make no mistake, loved ones. Make no mistake. Jesus calls his church, ready for this? I love this description. Jesus calls his church to be a picture of the community of heaven on earth. That's, that's staggering. And that is beautiful. A picture of the community of heaven on earth. And last week, we saw that if we are to live faithfully in uncommon community, we must live, it must be characterized by an increasing uncommon character. The character of Jesus Christ, increasingly living out his image. And what, what, here's a brief snapshot, little recall for us. Living with the humility of Christ the compassion of Christ, a character of kindness, 
of meekness, that is gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and the one that binds all these things together, Colossians 3.14, love. A love for God and a growing love for one another. And so today, we are going to see the overflow of that. The overflow of living with an increasing Christ-like character. And we'll see that an uncommon community lives with or is marked by, ready for this, uncommon speech. Uncommon speech. Now, why is it so important that we zero in on this? Scripture has so much to say about our speech. Did you guys know that? Scripture has so much to say about how we talk. And why is it so important we dive in on this? Because here's the truth, loved ones, here's the truth. We cannot escape. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the head of the church, ready? Cares very deeply about how we speak to about how we speak about one another and others outside the church. And you say, well, why does he he care so much? Well, you're going to see a few snapshots, a few pictures to help us get in the right mindset here. Proverbs 18, 21. Here's why Jesus cares so much. You'll see it on the screen. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's why. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's another vivid picture, the illustration of how God views speech. You'll see it on the screen. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18 says this, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Hey, loved ones, let's just be honest. How many swords did you thrust this week in your anger? In your impatience, when you didn't get your way. Let's get another picture. James 3, verses 5 to 6. I mean, the whole chapter of James 3 talks about the tongue. But 5 to 6 says, The tongue is like a fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Here's here's a picture of what that looks like. Go ahead. Put it up. A forest fire. That's a picture of the forest, one of the forest fires that was raging in British Columbia this summer. And it's a very good picture of what our tongue is capable of and why Jesus Christ cares so much about our speech. Fire starter, fire starter, fire starter, fire starter, fire starter, sword thrust, sword thrust, complaining, grumbling, criticizing, blaming pointing finger. Are we getting the picture? How great a forest is set ablaze. And that picture that you just saw, that is the picture of our world today. 
That is the picture, sadly, and even more grievous of the church today in many places. You see, I think you see even those three verses, and I don't know about you, I'm already starting to feel convicted by that. We're just in the intro. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Here's the, here's the issue we see. There's a problem that you and I face is that often we speak no different from the common speech of the world, do we? We, what do you mean by that? Well, here it is. We speak death and not life. To our spouses, we lash out and justify it in our anger because we're tired, because we're impatient. We justify it. We speak death, thrust the sword to our spouses, into our kids' lives. Hey, kids, this is how so often, I know, we have, we have four boys in our house. This is how often that you guys speak like this to one another. Thrust the sword, not words of healing. We speak this to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We speak it to unbelievers in our workplaces. How about this, when that person cuts you off in traffic? Eek. Yeah. There it is. See, we speak death and not life. We thrust the sword and do not speak healing. And quite often, let's be honest, loved ones, we're fire starters and not firefighters. We're fire starters and not firefighters. And what is the result? Just look around. Just look at the result of the church, what's going on in the church today and in this world today. Here it is. Division, not unity. Mistrust instead of trust. Deception instead of truth. Hurt instead of healing. Conflict instead of peace. And a church not living with the uncommon distinction of the community of heaven, but a church living with compromised witness that sounds more like the world than Jesus. Let's be clear. Here's our big idea for the text today. Ready? Here's our big idea. Write this down. The uncommon speech of Jesus must mark the uncommon community of Jesus. The uncommon speech of Jesus must mark the uncommon community of Jesus. Another way to say that, loved ones, is this. The community of heaven must speak the language of heaven. The community of heaven must speak the language of heaven if we are to be faithful in living as an uncommon community we are called to be. And see Jesus' power, his presence, his glory in us and through us, no matter what comes against us. You guys ready to go into the text? Let's stand and honor the authority of God's word. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 32 together. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Let's read it with one voice, loved ones. Here we go. Ready? 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated, church. All right, the first thing we see here is this. Uncommon community is marked by uncommon speech. We must embrace God's purpose for our speech. What is that? To give grace. There's the purpose, God's purpose for our speech, all times, all things, to give grace. Here's the question confronting us out of this verse, verse 29. God's purpose for our speech is to build up and give grace. Question facing you and I, does yours? Does it build up? Does it give grace? Let's get our context. Here we are, first century, 60 AD. The apostle Paul is writing from a Roman prison to the church in Ephesus. You'll see a map there. So Paul's over there in a Roman prison, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, there's this, this church in Ephesus is facing a danger. If you recall from our last message out of Ephesians, it is being plagued by false teachers. And it's in danger of division. And so Paul is writing to exhort the church to unity. And I love Ephesians chapter 4 because it actually, it's halfway through the book, but it also marks as a transition point in the book of Ephesians. Whereas chapters 1 to 3, Paul is unpacking so beautifully the doctrine of the gospel. The doctrine of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then hits chapter 4. And there's a transition. Paul moves from the doctrine of the gospel to our duty in the gospel. To our duty that each believer, you and I, if we are saved in Jesus Christ, our duty we have to practically live out our new life in Christ. And so what Ephesians 4 does, is beautiful, so instructive. It gives the blueprint for how the church is to function and conduct themselves distinct from the world in uncommon community with one another, living lives worthy of the gospel in the power of God. And so here, specifically in this part of the text, Paul addresses their speech. Let's go back to the text, verse 29. Let's let's read it. He says, let no, that's an imperative, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace, there's the purpose, that it may give grace to those who hear. All right, circle that phrase, corrupting talk. Circle that. We have to understand so clearly what God is speaking of through Paul here when he says corrupting talk. It means this. Here's what the term means in the original language. Harmful speech, evil speech, worthless speech, and here, here, here's the picture, rotten or putrid speech. And actually, the term is used of, it's the picture of rotten fruit or putrid meat. You'll see a picture on the screen. Don't lose your appetite. So there's rotten fruit. Keep going. Yep, let's just keep going. There it is. Yeah, ever got any of those great? And that's, uh, you know that, that bottom picture there? You know what that is? That's rotten meat. 
Like, have any of you ever been in your kitchen and you've like, you've carved up some meat for dinner and then you've thrown the rest in the garbage, but you forgot to take the garbage bag out? What happens to your kitchen? After a few hours, it starts to reek. It's putrid. Or you open the garbage can that you put it in and you just can't even take the smell. This is the corrupting talk that Paul is speaking of here. That's the picture. Putrid. Putrid. Now, we have to realize something about what he says here. This corrupting talk, here's, here's the, another danger of it. It doesn't just corrupt you speaking it. It doesn't just corrupt you, but it also corrupts the person listening to it from you. It is speech, corrupting speech, that that Paul is speaking of here is speech that actually makes you and the other person you're speaking to sick. Sick in the soul. You see the seriousness of this? Putrid in God's sight. Rotten. And let's put that picture back up there so we can... We can understand this clearly. See, speaking corruptively, just think about this. Speaking corruptively, speaking harmfully, speaking evilly, guess what? Is like you eating rotten fruit or meat that has gone putrid and then giving it to the other person for them to eat it. Mmm, have some of my putrid meat. Yum, it's going to taste really good. And our flesh is so easily deceived. Proverbs says it's like juicy morsels going down, but in the end it makes you sick. Mmm, have some of my putrid complaining. Let me make you sick too. My grumbling... It's a soul sickness. Let's get some clarity. Okay, corrupting talk. We talk evil talk. Let's make sure we're on the same page. Let's really, I really want this to be helpful and clarifying for us, loved ones. So let's do a quick scan over Scripture of what God is speaking of through Paul here when he says corrupting talk. You ready to go? Get your pens ready. You'll see it on the screen. Number one, corrupting talk, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means. Scripture is chock full of describing, but here's the first one. Corrupting talk is lying. Lying. Hey kids, did you tell a lie this week? Guess what? That is corrupting in the sight of God and putrid. Here's the thing. Colossians 3.9 says, quite simply, do not lie to one another. The uncommon community is to speak the truth. And unlike this world that says truth is relative and can be whatever you want it to be, a construct, a construct of your socialization, no, 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 God's truth is absolute. We speak the truth, we do not lie. Okay, let's go to the next one. Um, corrupting talk, slander. Just go to verse 31. Go 31 down here in Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away. What is slander? Here it is. Slander is any talk that injures another's good name. Anyone that degrades or defames 
another person, to their face or behind their back, slandering. Even, you ever notice that? When you, when you listen to slander, even about someone you've never met and then you meet them, guess what's going through your head? What's that? Soul sickness. Welcome to the putrid, corruptive talk. Slander. Here's another one. Corruptive talk. We've got lying. We've got slander. Very closely related to this. Gossip. Gossip. Corruption. Proverbs 16.28 says this. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, that is a gossip, separates close friends. Corruptive. Putrid. Next. Corruptive talk, wrath, wrathful speech, anger, and clamor. Just go down to verse 31 again. He says to put that away. You'll see it there. Now, what does all this mean? Clamor, wrath. Anger is the heart attitude that's fueling wrath and clamor. We'll get to that in a little bit because from the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. But wrath and clamor means an outburst, an anger outburst or expression. Here, 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 here's what this means for us. Um, there should be no shouting matches in the household of God. No shouting matches in the household of God. No heckling. Putrid. You, you can turn on the news. You can turn on interviews. You can turn on other things and see shouting matches all over the place. That is not to characterize the household of God. Clamor, wrath, anger. Here's, here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, complaining, criticizing, and arguing. We're not talking about a healthy debate. We're talking about arguing out of selfish motives, preferences. I want this. Why aren't you doing that? Look at Philippians 2.14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. All things. That means when you don't get your way. That means when it doesn't look like you wanted it to. Well, wait, wait, COVID didn't do what I wanted. Things didn't look like they should. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. There's soul sickness at stake. And a lot more, as we'll see in the next point. Okay, next one. Here we go. Uh, No complaining, criticizing, arguing, corruptive talk here is crude talk. Crude talk. Just look over a few verses to Ephesians 5, verse 4. It says, Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. You know what this is? Foolishness, filthiness. This is laughing at what God calls sinful. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to get us to laugh at sin. Hey, they're, they're joking about a woman's body. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. What? Whether you're in the locker room or you're in your house, it's corrupting. It's filthy in God's sight. No crude joking. We'll get more to that in a little bit. Here's another one. Corrupting talk is harsh talk. Proverbs 51 
says a gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh answer stirs up anger. Harshness, no compassion, no empathy, no tenderness. Here's another one. Um, corrupting talk is cruel speech. Proverbs eleven seventeen, cruel speech, that is degrading speech, demeaning or speaking down to someone. That's cruel, whether they're a child or an adult. Whether they're of the same race as you or a different one. Whether they've been vaccinated or they haven't been. Cruel speech is cruel speech, putrid in the sight of God. Next, here's another one. Corrupting talk, flattery. Flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says a lying tongue. This is why we're called not to lie, because here's what we're saying every time we lie. I hate you. Just look at what it, look at what it says right in the text. A lying tongue hates its victims. And flattery... And the flattering tongue works ruin. The flattering tongue works ruin. Oh, I'm going to flatter that person because I want to get something from them. I want to have that position. I want to have that job at work. I want to get that paycheck. Oh, I want to get that, that spouse. And I want to get that girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever it is. I'm going to flatter my way up there. God says, that's corrupting. Why do you need to do that? I'm sovereign. I'll work for your good. It may not look like what you think, but it'll be what's right. Here's another one. Corrupting talk is self-promoting talk. Look at Proverbs 27, verse 2. It says this. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Man, do we ever love to praise ourselves? Don't we? I did that. Don't you recognize what I did? Can I get a little, can I get a little love? It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. You see, this is pride. It's saying, I need to praise myself and promote myself. Don't you know the skills and abilities I have? I should be doing that. Careful. It's putrid. Next, here's another one. Self-promotion, lastly, is this. Um, sarcasm. Sarcasm. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 18 and 19 talks about sarcasm here. It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Ouch. Is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. It's just a joke. What's your problem? Wait, it's not my fault you're not strong enough to take it. It's just joking. I have seen so many people shredded in the name of sarcasm being a love language. And I want to tell you something, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. On our staff, it is not tolerated. On our leadership team, it is not tolerated. As our elder board, it is not tolerated. Because it is corrupting. It breaks trust. It demeans the person you're speaking about. And you say, but it's just a joke. Is it to them? See, 
Sarcasm is not wishing for another's well-being. It is speaking what is not true with the goal to belittle them, even in the name of humor. And it's making fun of the other person to elevate the speaker, like someone walking up the stairs and they trip and fall. It's like, duh, what's up with you? Okay, sarcastic, demeaning. Only joking. And that's just a snapshot, loved ones. And Paul says that foul and corrupting speech should never come from the mouth of a Christian. Ever. Because they've been made new. You and I, if we are saved in Jesus Christ, we have been made new in Jesus. And it's not foul speech, corrupting speech is not part of his character. It's not part of his character. It's not part of the language of heaven. Instead, we are to speak. Go back to the text. Notice what it says in verse 29 of Ephesians 4. It says, instead of corrupting talk, what are we supposed to speak? Only what is good. The word good there, if you circle it, means what is useful and comes from God. If I could sum up that part of verse 29, you'll see it on the screen, is this. Good, good speech is God's speech. Good speech The speech that God calls good is God's speech. It is, ready? Just look at the text. It is not tearing the person down in the name of humor or anything else. It is not tearing the person down, but it is building them up as fits the occasion. What does that mean? As fits the occasion. Circle that. Here's what it means. According to the need you see in their life. A person, hey, let's just, spoiler alert. A person never has a need to be degraded by you. Or me. And so as fits the occasion is according to the need. It is to be edifying speech. Loving. not and, and here's the thing. It doesn't mean we shy away from giving loving correction to one another and speaking the truth in love when we need to do it. No, we need to do that. We are commanded to do that. But even in giving correction, it is for building up and loving and not condemning and tearing down. Even in giving the correction. It is comforting. It is truthful. It is wise. It is encouraging. It is correcting. It promotes another's growth in Christian holiness. The image of Christ in Christian wisdom and purity and faith and joy. And what's the purpose of this speech? Not tearing down, but building up. Just go back to the text. What's the purpose? Look at the last part of 29. To give grace to those who hear. The word grace there Oh, first, the word give. You know what the word give there means? It seems kind of like no-brainer, right? But think about this. It means to deposit or to minister. Depositing grace every time you open your mouth into someone's life. Depositing grace. Ministering grace into their lives. And what is the grace? This is the joy, God's joy, his love, his pleasure in kindness towards those who hear it. it. Let me just sum this whole verse up in this statement. You'll see it right here. Our words are to be a means of God's grace into the life of another. Did you know our words are a given, God-given means of grace? Do we use them as that? They are to be a means of grace, of God's grace into the life of another. See, I love this. God's word, his word right here in our Bibles is a means of grace to us. And our words as being made into his image and renewed and transformed are to be 
the means of grace through our speech by his power into the life of another. And Jesus is our standard for this. I love Luke 4.22. Jesus is our standard. It says this. When he's talking to the crowds, it says, all spoke well of him, that is Jesus, and marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. No one's going to marvel at the condemning speech of the world that is so common. They marvel at how can someone be gracious in the face of adversity? What is going on there? They still will marvel today. It is so uncommon. See, God's purpose for our speech is to build up and give grace. Question, loved ones. Hey, love you so much. And I'm so preaching to myself right now too. Does your speech give this? Does mine? What is your speech giving? Corruption or grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ? To your siblings? To your roommates? To your spouses? To your kids? To your workplace employees? See, as Christians, we should be the most grace-filled people on earth and recognizing the grace we've received. See, uncommon community marked by uncommon speech, we must embrace God's purpose for it and give grace. But also, here, read the next part of the text, we must heed God's warning for our speech. And what's that? His grief. His grief over our speech. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. See, Paul reminds them that they are the Lord's. I love this. He reminds them, you're the Lord's. You've been sealed for the day of redemption. And this should be their incentive, their motivation for speaking and living in line with the character of Jesus in the power of the Spirit that lives in them. We've been adopted by the King of Kings. We're no longer part of this world. Here's our motivation to give him glory. But Paul, with this, gives them a warning. Notice that regarding their speech in the text. He's saying this. Here's what he's saying. Ephesian church, today, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, we need to recognize the seriousness about our speech. The seriousness and what is at stake in regards to how you speak and live. And notice what he says. He says that if they don't put away, and we'll see in a moment, that means to decisively remove or repent of the corruptive talk that threatens their unity, their joy, their holiness, in the image of Christ in the church. Here's, here, notice what it says right there. Read the text. They will grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be grieved. Now circle the word grieve there because we're like, oh, kind of no big deal, right? No big deal? Do we recognize the seriousness of that warning? This is no big deal. It's just the gr God's grieved over sin. Okay, here's what the word grieve means. Ready? To severely offend with intense sorrow, pain, or distress. See, we see right here a couple things about the Holy Spirit. Remember, Holy Spirit, fully God. One God, three distinct persons. Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just kind of some phantom out there. He's actually a person. Do you see that? He's grieved. There's evidence to that truth right there. He is grieved. But notice else, what else? The Holy Spirit lives in them. How do you know? Just go back to the text. He is the guarantee of their salvation. He's the promise of eternal life. And he notice where he says, you've been sealed. The word sealed there in verse 30 is the mark of God's ownership over that life. That one's mine. 
That one is mine, and I've given my Holy Spirit as the seal of that. And here's the reality with the Holy Spirit. As our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand this, loved ones, about God. He can't stand the presence of sin. He can't stand it, loved ones. And he hates it when we engage in it. He loves us, but he hates the sin that we engage in in the place where he dwells, our body, the temple of God, as he lives in us. Hey, let me ask you a question, loved one. Truth, let's just be true. Do you ever think about how your sin, do I ever think how my sin actually grieves God to this extent? So often we care more about our grief than God's grief, don't we? Let's just be honest. You see, this is a crucial reminder for the Ephesian church right here and for us as well because if they grieve the Holy Spirit, that means walking or speaking in disobedience to God's word, look what happens. They grieve the Spirit, they quench his work among them in building up the church. His mission, what's his mission? John 16, exalting Jesus Christ, illuminating scripture to us. It's all pointing at him, glorifying Christ, seeing the church built. Let's be clear, I love how one commentator said this. He said this, the Holy Spirit wants to intensify the heat of his presence among the church. He wants to intensify the heat. It's like, come on. The fruit of the Spirit being birthed again and again, love and joy and peace. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to intensify. But when we resist him, it means we disobey the Lord, his word. And we resist the working out of his fruit in our lives through disobedience. Here's here's the reality of what happens. We don't live out his fruit in his power. And he won't bless it. In this sin, right here in our context, is with the tongue. And if it is not repented of, here's what happens. Holy Spirit is grieved. And if it is not repented of, we talked about this at our prayer night on Wednesday. It's not repented of, guess what happens? The Spirit withdraws his power. In your life personally, in your marriage, in your family, and corporately in us as a church. The Holy Spirit withdraws his power, his influence, and his intimate presence until that sin is purged, repented of, confessed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The hindrance is removed and intimacy is restored with him. That's what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's a big deal. Do we recognize the seriousness of what's at stake? It's not just a flippant comment. In fact, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, we're going to give an account for every careless word we speak. Like, that's a big deal. That's that's a big deal to God. It grieves his spirit. I love how Charles Spurgeon put this. I was so convicted by this this week. Just listen, I just want to read this over to you. Here's the seriousness of what we're speaking of. I love how Spurgeon puts it here. In a sermon, he said, In the true child of God, grieving the Spirit will not lead to his utter destruction, for no heir of heaven can perish. Remember, verse 30, the Holy Spirit's the seal. You don't lose the Holy Spirit. There's eternal security when you are saved, but he withdraws his power. So in the true child of God, 
You don't lose the Spirit completely. Neither will the Holy Spirit be utterly taken away from him, for the Spirit of God is given to us to abide forever. Praise the Lord. All God's people said amen. Praise the Lord for that. But, but, the ill effects are nevertheless most terrible. Okay, he's going to move individually to corporately. Watch this. First thing, you will lose, my dear friends, all sense of the Holy Spirit's presence. You will lose it. Your love for Christ will grow cold. Sin will harden your heart. And you will lose all sense of the Spirit's presence. He will be hidden from you. There will be no beams of comfort, no words of peace, no thoughts of love. Here's the second thing on an individual level. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We grieve the Holy Spirit. You will lose all Christian joy. You will lose all Christian joy. Does that not characterize so much of the church today? Joyless. We sang there is joy in the house of the Lord, right? Okay? And yet we will lose all Christian joy. All right, let's get our phones. I get it. I get it. I got the same alert up here. Let's just get, deal with it, and then we'll keep going. Go ahead. All right, here we go. You will lose all Christian joy, those very means of grace, which were once such a delight, shall have no music in your ear. Your soul shall be no longer as a watered garden, but a howling wilderness. Next, grieve the Holy Spirit of God and you will lose all power. You will lose your power. If you pray, it will be a very weak prayer. When you read the scriptures, you shall not be able to lift the latch into the inner mysteries of truth. Here's another one. Grieve the Spirit of God and your usefulness will cease. The ministry shall yield no fruit. This terrifies me. I was telling my wife that this week. This just terrifies me it, to no end. The ministry shall yield no fruit. Your Sunday school work shall be barren. Your speaking to others and laboring for other souls shall be like sowing the wind. And now he turns to the corporate impact on the church. That's individually. Here we go. Let a church grieve the Spirit of God. Here it is. Then her days of solemn assembly shall have no acceptance with heaven. And she shall fail to bless the age. That is the land, the city, the nation, the world in which she lives. She shall cast no light into the surrounding darkness. No sinners shall be saved through her means. Darkness and death shall reign where all was joy and life. Do we recognize the seriousness, loved ones, of grieving the Holy Spirit of God through our speech? And you can see the impact of this over this last year and a half all across this world in the church. See, God is grieved over our sinful speech. Do you realize the seriousness in your personal life? In your families, in your relationships, in the church? Hey, loved ones, we need, loved ones, love you so much. We need to hear the warning afresh. We need to hear the warning and ask ourselves this. Okay, 
So how do we stand spiritually alert? Ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say going to grieve the Holy Spirit of God? In, when I'm tempted, when I'm frustrated, when I'm going through the trial, when things aren't going my way, is what I'm about to say about to grieve the Holy Spirit? See, when I'm about to promote myself, put my name forward. Listen, listen. We must join the psalmist in prayer where he says in Psalm 141.3, you'll see it on the screen, it says this, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Oh, yes, Lord, please help us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Make that a daily prayer. I need to do that every single day many times. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips. See, uncommon community is marked by uncommon speech, and we must embrace God's purpose for the speech. It starts right there, to give grace and build up, to never tear down. Here's the second thing, and we must heed God's warning for our speech, the grief of the Holy Spirit of God, personally, corporately, and that leads to this. Ready? Finally, it all boils to this. We must renounce our evil in our speech and repent. We must renounce the evil in our speech and repent. See, uncommon community renounces evil speech. We're not going to be perfect at this on this side of eternity, loved ones. Let's just get that clear. But when we aren't, we renounce it very quickly, knowing what's at stake. Will you put it away? Will I put it away in our homes, to our kids, to our coworkers, in the church? Will we put it away? See, look at 31 and 32 as we close out. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind. Hope Ottawa, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, the uncommon community, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind. Put it away. See, Paul finishes by calling the believers to put away. The term there in the Greek means to decisively remove, turn from, or repent of the evil in their speech and thoughts and attitudes of their heart that are the root of this. Because remember, Luke 6.45, Jesus says, from out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth will speak. When speech is corrupt, there's something going wrong in our heart. We've allowed sin to fester Ungodly speech flows from a heart that is not right before God. And as they do this, as we do this, they would see and know the power and presence and glory of God in and through them as they live faithfully by his power of the Holy Spirit in the uncommon community they are called to be. Notice what he says to put away. Bitterness. Listen, real quick, here's a snapshot. Bitterness, what does that mean? The smoldering resentment of what some, of what that person said, of what they got that I wanted, of what they did, put it away. The bitterness that just wells up inside of us and spews out in putrid speech. Put away the wrath and anger. We already talked about this. No, no shouting matches in the household of God. Patience, kindness, grace, truth, love, but a gentle firmness, power under control that is meekness. Clamor, put away clamor that is shouting and quarreling. 
slander, and all malice. All malice is just like a catch-all term for all evil and wickedness with our mouths. The desire to injure with words or actions. Can we be honest? Maybe even this week, we've desired to injure with our words, our thoughts, and our actions. Let's just, let's, let's be honest and humble before. Let's not be defensive to God's word. He will not bless that. This malice destroys the unity in the body, and Paul says, put it off. There's no life there. And what does he say? So put that off, but then put on. That means clothe yourselves with, here it is, kindness. Kindness in your speech, kindness in your actions, benevolence, good the speech that gives grace and builds up. Put on tenderheartedness. That is speech and actions that are filled with compassion. Empathy, care, and concern. Yes, even to the precious children in this church when you just want to walk right past them. Put on forgiveness. That means, remember from last week, to extend favor, to give pardon freely for one that has sinned against you completely, graciously, and sacrificially. Notice, as God in Christ. Notice the text, 32. As God in Christ has forgiven you. There's the beautiful gospel right there. When he, Jesus Christ, for his enemies, came to earth, fully God, fully man, and lived a perfect life for 33 years did not sin in his, can you imagine? Does this just blow your mind how awesome Jesus is? That not one word Jesus sinned with, not one. When he was your age, little guys, your age, Jesus did not sin even one word. He gives you the power to live that way now. If we are saved in him, and as he grew, and even as his brothers jeered at him, he did not sin even once, even when soldiers were mocking him and whipping him and beating him and he's being mocked by King Herod. This is the king of the universe. The one giving them breath to do that. And he went to the cross and died to pay the penalty for our sin. The power that sin has over us that enslaves us to speak and live this way in the flesh. That was broken when Jesus took the wrath of God And he died, was buried, and three days later rose again, defeating the power of sin and death and corrupt speech for all time. Amen? What an awesome Savior, the hope of the gospel. And recall this, love, and you may say, it's so hard to forgive that person for what they've done. You don't know how they've hurt me. Can I, can I re remember this from last week? You'll see it on the screen. Forgiveness doesn't minimize what has happened to you, loved one. It exalts what Jesus has done for you. We're not minimizing the pain that has been caused. Some of you I know have been hurt so badly. I've cried with you. My wife and I, we've walked with you. I know. It's not minimizing what has happened. It's exalting what Jesus has done. It's exalting the hope of the gospel. When we cast it on and say, Jesus, give me the strength to forgive Hey, 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 loved ones, uncommon community renounces evil speech. Will you put it away? And this last year and a half going through COVID, you know, we were talking to senior pastors this past week, and one, one, one of us said this. He said, you know, trials have a way of accelerating what's already there. And we have seen over this last year and a half, brothers and sisters in Jesus speaking wickedly to one another, 
pointing fingers and blaming and corrupting speech coming up from our mouths. And loved ones, Jesus is calling his church to repent. This cost is high. The grief of the Holy Spirit is real. And he's calling his church to repent. And that includes you and I as part of it. Because we are all doing this on some level. And he calls us to repent. There is joy. There is freedom. There is cleansing. There is hope. Repentance is the path to joy. And so if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hear God's word for you today. It is not by accident you are here. Scripture is so clear that today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, and today will be the day of salvation where you say, Jesus Christ, I can't speak anything but corrupt speech apart from you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. John 15, 4 and 5. No spiritual good. I need you as my Savior. I confess my sin. Please be my Lord. I believe. And he says, yes, loved ones. Maybe that's where you need to go today. And I pray and plead with you that you would. And believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, can I just be real with you for a second? Isn't it hard to live like this? Can we just agree on that? It's really hard. It's really hard to do. But I want to encourage you with this beautiful gospel truth because of how God in Christ has forgiven us Jesus will not ask from you and I what he's not first willing to do in you and I. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. And he has given us, through his shed blood on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's given us all we need for life and godliness, to speak words of grace and truth. And there is hope and if you're in Jesus Christ here, listen, there is no condemnation for you. If you're like me going through this this week, I'm like, oh man, I'm shrinking in the chair, literally. But Jesus says there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus, but there must be repentance. There must be repentance. And so to that, to that, we're gonna take a time of five minutes of corporate prayer right here, right now, to get before the Lord. Maybe, maybe husbands, you just need to take your wife's hand and get things right with her and then go to the Lord together. Singles, maybe you need to just be quiet before the Lord. And I've, I've written a prayer here for you to help us walk through this. A prayer of repentance that says this, Lord, search my heart. Families together, praying together. Kids, how you speak to your brothers and sisters, praying together, Lord, search my heart. Thank you for your forgiveness, your kindness, and steadfast love towards me. Thank you that in you there is no condemnation over me. If you are saved in Christ, that's a beautiful truth today. And that in you I've been given all I need to live with the uncommon speech of Jesus. I confess and repent of what in my speech Towards or with who? What and who? Please grant me your grace to speak with your grace to and about that person. And please grant me the faith, fervency, confidence, and joy to get any conflict that I have with another brother or sister in Christ right with them so far as it depends on me and live peaceably. So in the quietness of our hearts, right where you're sitting, we're gonna take five minutes and respond 
in corporate prayer together. We're in this together, loved ones, towards the Lord. Let's go. All right, team, let's roll it.
beautiful thing to hear the prayers of God's people. The uncommon speech of Jesus must mark the uncommon community of Jesus. Isn't, isn't, isn't the mercy and grace of Jesus so beautiful? Isn't it so beautiful? That he knew we would be putrid at times, many times, and he came out of his love for us. What a Savior who is like our God. The uncommon speech of Jesus must mark the uncommon community of Jesus, and we must embrace, God, embrace God's purpose for our speech, giving grace every opportunity we have. And we must heed God's warning of the implications and what's at stake when he is grieved. And we must renounce our evil, a lifestyle of repentance. And as Psalm 19.14 says, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God our rock, and our redeemer. What a beautiful name, the name of Jesus. Let's stand to respond in worship now, please.